All right, this morning's text is 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 4. And so if you would, if you're able, let's stand together. Um, this text is found on page 1016, 1016. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're not in Matthew this morning. Uh, we're going to take some time in 1 Peter this morning, chapter 5, again, verses 1 through 4. Our brother Jim is going to read this for us. All right. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40 says that the flower, the, the, uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that, that uh, despite all of the attacks, um, all of the attempts um, to, to rid this world of your word, um, your word stands true in what it declares about itself, um, in that things will fade and disappear, but your word will not. And so, Lord, we, uh, we, we believe that um, just as has been the case for the last many, many years um, in, in, this, in this world, that the many, many years that we have ahead of us, um, your word will still stand true, uh, will still stand the test of time. Um, that if it has not been squashed yet, uh, we have great confidence because your word says that it will never be squashed. Um, and so, Lord, we, uh, we come to your word this morning um, submitted to your word, um, ready to hear from your word, um, very confident in, in what your word has to say, and we praise you for it um, in, a, in a very um, worshipful way. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's have a seat for... Uh, just a few minutes, as you notice, we're not in the book of Matthew this morning. We're taking a little bit of a, uh, of a, of a detour. Jim texted me last night, and he said, did I understand correctly that the text I'm supposed to read is not in Matthew? And um, yeah, I told him that us and Matthew had to take a little bit of a mutual break uh, just for about a week. We'll be back in Matthew next week. But I thought that it was a really good opportunity um, to, to kind of look into uh, to 1 Peter chapter 5, Verses one through four, and, and listen, this this text isn't one of those texts that you uh, you're just gonna like you're gonna leave and you're gonna be ready to, like charge the gates of, of hell with a water cannon or anything like that. Um, it's hopefully this morning. Um, this is this is somewhat of an informative text for us. Um, I think there's some really beautiful truths in it. Um, I don't want to in any way diminish what the text is doing because actually, if we if we understand the word as the inspired word of God that the Holy Spirit has written for us. Um, then we understand um, that, that, it is, that it, all of Scripture is profitable for us, um, that all of it is, is to equip us to be the kind of people that God calls us to be. And so 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, um, helps us to see that in a pretty profound way. Um, we, we have seen throughout our study in Matthew um, that Jesus is the Messiah. So ho- hopefully that's just like drilled in your head. Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe you knew that. I hope that now you not only know that, but you kind of know what that means, that there was a promised coming Messiah, um, that the Bible claims that Jesus 
is the fulfillment of. And so Matthew not only, what we've been talking about the last few weeks is that Matthew not only presents to us Jesus as the Messiah, but he over and over again shows us what kind of Messiah Jesus is, what kind of Savior we have. And so it's one thing for the people to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. They knew that a Messiah was coming, but remember, y'all remember this? They kind of thought that the, that the Savior, the Messiah that was coming was one who would have, have different kind of, of power than what Jesus showed up with, that he would overthrow really just their political enemies and kind of have just this social impact. And what Jesus is doing is, no, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. They're saying, this is not the kind of Messiah we were expecting. We needed somebody to come beat up those big bad Romans for us. We need somebody to come take out our enemies. And what Jesus is saying, I have come to take out your greatest enemy, and that is sin, to save you from your sin. And so it's not only important that we see that Jesus is the Messiah, it's important for us to see what kind of Messiah, what kind of Savior we had. And so last week at the end of Matthew 9, it really kind of teed us up. I really had no choice today. I just I tried to resist it, but I had no choice but to jump to this text because at the end of Matthew 9, we get a little bit of a soft toss um, that Matthew shows us that Jesus, the kind of Messiah that Jesus is, is a compassionate, shepherding, sovereign Savior, a Savior who feels, a Savior who leads us, and a Savior who sends and who saves. Listen, we, we have to understand something. So many things in, in life just kind of like exist out in the ether. You know what I'm saying by that? They just kind of like exist out in the ether. So here's an example that I've given before. Um, that, that, that wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians uh, that Paul wrote just for weddings, right? Um, love one another. Y'all know that one? Um, we, we love reading that at our weddings, um, we, we love kind of the idea. It's kind of like, ah, oh, well, we just read this chapter, um, that love is patient, love is kind. What, what being in the ether means is that we can just see that it says love is patient, love is kind. What not being in the ether means is that I'm probably going to have people in my life that it's hard to be patient with. Anybody? Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's yourself. Maybe that's someone around you. Maybe you don't, don't, don't nudge anybody, Okay. Um, please don't nudge anybody. Um, what, what not existing in the ether means is that person next to you or in front of you or behind you that drives you crazy means that, no, love is patient. Love is kind. And so these truths and these realities about Jesus don't exist out in the ether. They, they're They're real. They're tangible. Like, if they are not doing something in your life today, then that might be a sign that you believe that these truths and realities, the gospel realities, exist only in the ether. And they don't apply to today. That the gospel doesn't apply to my marriage or my parenting. I've got the gospel here and these things over here. And so Jesus as a shepherd does not just exist out in the ether. It's not an abstract role that he just decided to fill once he came to this earth. No, bound up within the promise of the coming Messiah, the shepherd in the Old Testament, bound up within that promise was, the, was a distinguishing role that the Messiah would play, that of shepherd. And last week we saw in Jeremiah chapter 23 and Ezekiel 34 that, that God would send a shepherd for his people, right? 
God came down and saw all the wicked ways that the earthly shepherds were acting, the shepherds of Israel. And he said, listen, y'all are are wicked, stiff-necked people leading my people. So God said, I will send a shepherd who will shepherd your souls, who will love you and care for you and nurture you. And then in John 10, guess what Jesus does? He essentially says, Essentially, and he doesn't say this directly, he essentially says, yeah, that Ezekiel and that Jeremiah promise of the prophets, Jesus in John 10 says, that's me. That's, I, I'm the one who was, who was promised. Jesus is affirming who he is and what kind of savior he is. He's also claiming that he is the fulfillment of the promised coming shepherd. And then in John 21, we're, we're getting to 1 Peter. We just gotta kind of take a little bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a long time to get there. In John chapter 21, um, the, the final, some of the final words of Jesus to Peter are concerned with the apostolic charge of Jesus to Peter to now carry on what Jesus fulfilled. Go to, go to John 21. Would you go there with me? It's a somewhat familiar text. John chapter 21. So Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the good shepherd. My people hear my voice. They know me. They come to me. I shepherd them. And then Jesus in John 21, um, has died. He has risen from the grave. And now he's about to, to leave this earth. And Jesus has this conversation with Peter in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. It's a little bit morbid. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So many, many people believe, this is not recorded in scriptures, many people believe, just know that this is not recorded in scriptures and we're not claiming that it is. Many people believe that this is Jesus saying that he was gonna die a similar death than Jesus, that his hands would be stretched out. And, and, and the text says, this was Jesus saying, what kind of death that he would die. And so Jesus hands over, essentially, the keys to, which we see a, a good example in Matthew chapter 18, the keys of the kingdom. This is almost the keys to the, to the sheep gate that Jesus is handing over to Peter. He's saying, Jesus is saying, I have shepherded my people and I have shepherded them well. And now Jesus says, now my charge to you, Peter, is to shepherd my people, is to shepherd my people. And so we need to understand, church, that Jesus, as the good shepherd, has a great deal of care and concern for the sheep. And so in Jesus' ascension, in his leaving of the earth, Jesus doesn't leave the sheep to wander aimlessly. Rather, Jesus speaks of how he will now shepherd his people through under-shepherds those who would shepherd under the good shepherd. And so I pray, here, here's, here's, here's an encouragement for us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage in this later again. I pray that we have a really deep sense, church family, of Jesus as our shepherd. Yeah. 
Can I say that again? I pray that we have a really deep sense of Jesus as our shepherd that does not exist in the ether, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, fulfills all the shepherding roles and characteristics that an actual shepherd would do in the lives of his sheep, that he would leave 99 to find one. And so we have a shepherd who knows us, who leads us, who feeds us, who protects us, and we with the psalmist in Psalm 23 can boldly declare, we can, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so all of this, all the, the, the fact that, that Jesus cares deeply, that Jesus is the promised shepherd, that Jesus gives his shepherding care to the apostles, and then as we're going to see today, that the apostles then make sure that the church knows that the church, the local church knows that you are to be shepherded by those who would reflect the shepherding care of Jesus. And so all of this brings profound weight to what Peter says in this text today. So Peter, in what was delegated to him and his apostles, now speaks of those who are not apostles. Let me just, apostles, uh, just a really simple way to understand apostles are those who were with Jesus those who saw Jesus. We are not apostles. Uh, we were not physically present with the Messiah. Um, in the Bible, it speaks of apostles as those who were with Jesus. And you say, well, what about Paul? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians that he was given apostleship by Jesus because Jesus essentially showed up and just zapped him with all the things that Paul needed to know. And so Paul was an apostle, even though he was not with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so what was delegated to Peter and the apostles Peter now essentially delegates or shows that what has been delegated um, to those who would fill the role of shepherd. And so you've got Paul, you've got Peter, you've got James, and you've got the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who it is. I really hope it's someone besides those three because it really actually helps me with this case that I'm trying to make here. Um, if it's one of those three, then it, it, you know, it kind of doesn't help, but it, it it does help because you've, you've still at least got Paul, Peter, and James all dedicate writing to the role of shepherds. That's, a, that's, that's pretty much every writer of the New Testament, including Jesus, by the way, in the Gospels. You've got nearly every book of the New Testament with dedicated writing to the, to the role and the function and the responsibility of shepherds. Um, and, and as the scriptures do in this context, we're going to use the terms today, pastor, shepherd, elder, somewhat interchangeably. When you read the scriptures and you see shepherd used as a, like as a noun or, or, or pastor or elder, really we can kind of use all of these three words interchangeably, pastor, elder, shepherd, overseer. Um, I know this is going to freak some of us out, but bishop even um, is, is, in the, is in the text um, those words are somewhat interchangeable. And so we see that from cover to cover of the, of, the, of the scriptures, from the Old to the New Testament, that the role of shepherd is very important in our understanding of God and of ourselves. And so here's what, here's what we don't have time to do today and we're not gonna do today. We're not gonna spend a great amount of time building out the case for biblical eldership in the local church, but you know what that means, Right? We're going to spend a little bit of time on it, okay? We're not going to spend a lot of time. We're going to spend a little bit of time. Let's talk about this for just a second. Eldership in the church. Let me say that what I'm operating off of here in the text that we're preaching today, what I'm oper operating off of is a confident assumption 
that the scriptures prescribe the way um, the, 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 the way that ch- the church is led is by a plurality of elders. I'm, I'm operating off a very, again, confident assumption based on my reading in the scriptures that it's a prescription for church leadership, not a suggestion, and it's not merely a description either. It's not, the, 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 the book, it's not that the, the apostles are just simply describing the way that for a little while the church was led. I'm saying that I believe what, 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 because of the, the amount of evidence that we have in the scriptures, that the scriptures prescribe that this is the way that the church is led, that this is the way that the church is served by those who are pastors, by those who are elders, overseers, what, like we've talked about, shepherds. In fact, Acts 14 says that in every church, elders were appointed. And in every church, elders are born. And so as a lot of people say that Acts is merely descriptive, that it's merely describing something. Maybe that's true in some cases, but the number of times that elders are referred to and assumed in the remainder of the New Testament really serve for us as, as, a, as a rather convincing prescription of how God intends for his church to be led, as well as, as we've established, the prominence of the idea of shepherding throughout the Old Testament, the life of Jesus, and then Jesus' commission to his apostles. In fact, Paul, in one of his final, what's believed to be his final letters um, before he dies, writes extensively to Timothy. He writes extensively to Timothy um, about elders in the church. And he doesn't just like mention elders. No, like Paul gives this big, long section of qualifications for elders, um, he, gives this, this, he gives this reference to elders being appointed in the church, that, that there are hands being laid on men who are qualified to shepherd the people of God. And then he writes on how they ought to lead. Not just their qualifications, which this would be that, that other sermon that I said we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on. Those qualifications, there's only one of them that have to do with ability. And if you notice in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, the rest of the qualifications have nothing to do with ability, but have everything to do with character, have everything to do with what kind of man this person is, not what this man is able to do or accomplish or achieve, but the character of this person. Go read that sometime. It's It's really edifying. So Paul spends a great amount of time qualifying those who may be called to the role of elder, but Peter spends his time, as we'll see today, clarifying the call for those who are elders. And so let's, let's read this text. We're going to re- read it several more times. I want to read this together. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it would be very helpful if you follow along in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, page 1016, if, if you're using the book and Bible in the front of you. This is what 1 Peter 5 one through four says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I think what we notice here in Peter clarifying, so again, like we said, Paul has qualified the elders. He has said this is the, the qualitative aspect of elders are these in 1 Timothy 3. What Peter's doing here is he is clarifying what their call is. Um, and, and, and what to notice here is that 
Peter takes the Great Commission very seriously. You notice that? Matthew 28, going to all the world um, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is Peter taking that commission very seriously by teaching the, the people in these churches how they are to shepherd the people of God. Because he has learned from Jesus how to shepherd, and then Jesus tells him, now go teach that. And guess what Peter's doing? He's teaching that. He is making sure that they know that. And so what Peter tells the elders of these dispersed churches throughout Asia is very similar to what Jesus expected Peter to do in John 21. In fact, this is, this is a really important point. There's, there's a guy named Alexander Strout um, who, who kind of like wrote the, like, so this is the textbook on biblical eldership. So uh, Strout came along and wrote like the, the, the extra biblical textbook on, church, on, on biblical eldership. And, and, and Strout says something very important. He essentially highlights the fact. He, so, so go to 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1, real quick. Sorry, we're, we're kind of all over the place, but it's, we're, we're getting there. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Let's just see who Peter is writing to. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. This is an interesting approach, an interesting letter, because it's not written, it doesn't seem that it's written to one church. It's written to five churches dispersed all throughout Asia. And so what Strauch says is that the fact that Peter can write one letter to, to churches scattered throughout five provinces of Asia demonstrates that the standard practice and understanding of, of elders, that demonstrates that the, that the, that the uh, standard practice and understanding is that elders were those who were leading the church. The fact that Peter can write one letter and it can be dispersed to five different congregations and, and they can all read the same thing as that it was the standard practice in Peter and in the book of Acts and really all throughout, else throughout that churches were being led by qualified men, by those who were qualified to, to teach and then had the characteristics that, that Paul speaks about. And so how does Peter characterize this? I don't know. This kind of stuff is super interesting to me. Maybe you're like bored out of your mind, uh, but, but just know that all scripture is God-breathed and inspired and sufficient and is, it is, and is uh, capable to equip us. And so here's where we get to the nuts and the bolts. How does Peter describe then the way that elders function in the body? How does he clarify how qualified leaders lead in the church? And how do these men reflect the shepherding care of Jesus to the people of Jesus? Well, the first thing that Peter says in 1 Timothy 5, um, as far as clarifying this call, is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the first command that Peter gives. It's the first thing that Peter, Peter says, hey, elders, here's how you are to steward the calling that God has placed on your life. I think it's important to understand a little bit of the context of 1 Peter. Um, if you read the whole book, you see that at some level, those who are reading this are, are suffering. Have you read the book of 1 Peter? Um, you ought to. I think it's, I think it's very good and very helpful. Um, if you haven't, that's fine. But go do that this week. It's five chapters, um, super quick read. What is evident throughout the book of 1 Peter is that there are people that are reading this letter who are suffering greatly. Um, likely, uh, it, sa it says that they were, uh, they were the elect 
exiles. They were, they were exiled people. They were, they were people of the dispersion. They had been, they had been dispersed because of persecution, uh, because of bad leadership, because of all sorts of things going on. And so Peter constantly calls them back to place your hope, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so in the midst of all this, when you're like, all right, Peter, just tell us how to survive. Just give us the most important things. Peter seems to communicate to us that godly leadership is something that is vital in the midst of suffering. Well, I don't, I don't know. I think we do know why. Hopefully, we've, we've built a case from the whole of Scriptures, from the Old Testament, through the Gospels, through all of the, the letters of Paul, James, and Peter, and the, that, 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 that anonymous writer of Hebrews, that obviously there is some depth and some, some weight to this idea of biblical leadership. And so Peter's saying, hey, listen, you are suffering. You don't understand all the trials that you're going through, but fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and, and then Peter takes time to personally address those who are leading the churches, the elders of God. And so the first thing that he says to these men as they are walking through suffering with their people is he says, shepherd the flock of God among you, which is a an implication that, that, that the shepherds, that those who are pastors, would know their sheep. There's, there's really many implications birthed from this. First, this is a novel idea. You ready? Shepherding necessitates proximity to sheep. Shepherding necessitates proximity to the sheep. Um, what, what he's... What he's what, what, um, Peter is not commanding of these shepherds is that they just simply are aware of what's going on in the lives of their sheep. No, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Peter is assuming, and we ought to assume as well, that shepherds are those who are among the sheep, not above the sheep, not just behind the sheep, pushing not in front of the sheep, dragging them along, but no, among them. One way that somebody, that one guy wrote it was, shepherds smell like sheep. Have you been around like your grandpa who herded cattle? <laughs> that dude like just has a permanent fragrance. He smells like them. You get in his truck, smells like the cows, right? All his, all his shoes, they got, they got sheep and you were like, what were you going to say? They got cow stuff on the bottom of their, of their boots. They, they smell like what they are in proximity to. Secondly, the thing, not, not only does shepherding necessitate proximity to sheep. By the way, j- just, just so you know, church, this is a, a lot of times when we preach, we, we preach kind of like, here's what we as the people of God ought to do. This is, this is not an easy passage to preach for a guy like me. Can I just say that? Uh, because... I begin to think about all the ways that I'm not fulfilling this great call that God has placed on my life as a pastor. And can I just say something? Not everyone is called to be a pastor either. Um, Pastoring in the scriptures has a very specific meaning. And so we may all minister, but we do not all pastor. Um, we, We all, men and women alike, are ministers but not all men and women, and not all men specifically, as, as our position here at Grace Harbor, not all men are pastors. Does that mean that there are different levels of importance and significance in the church? Absolutely not. 
Uh, we had a group of men here yesterday. Um, y'all need to, by the way, uh, y'all need to drive by here sometime after the sun goes down, or maybe you drive by before the sun comes up um, and see how bright this place is. I, uh, it has been bright before. I've not seen the place as bright as it is, and it's beautiful. Um, it looks wonderful. We got two new parking lot lights, and some, we're putting up some more lighting around here. I say all that to say, hey, not everyone serves in the same way. We've got, we've got people here that will get up on a big old boom lift, and you would not catch me ever on that thing. Uh, but I was cheering the guy on who was on the boom lift here today. I said, hey, you got this. Remember, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So uh, just keep that in mind. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So uh, that's essentially what I'm thinking if I'm going up in one of those things. Um, but I'm not going up in one of those things. All that to say, we don't all serve in the same way. We have a, a varying degree of, of gifts and talents. And let me just say this to you very plainly, because here's, here's, here's the, the point. This text is a little bit of a, either an indictment or an explanation on my particular role and Thomas's particular role as elders in this church. So let me give one challenge to you. There's not one of you sitting in this room that God has not called to serve the church in a very unique and serious way. If you're coming here for Sunday morning service and then we don't see you again or don't hear from you again, that's not the fullness of what God's calling you into. God has called you to serve the church in a very unique, needed, necessary, particular way. And I pray that we would do that. This morning, we're, we're kind of putting the, the weight on ourselves as pastors uh, because we're, we want to be faithful in this call that God has placed on us. And so Peter says, hey, pastors, shepherds, those who are with the sheep in the midst of suffering, shepherd the flock of God among you. So again, first we saw that shepherding necessitates proximity to sheep. But secondly, pastors, as is the case in these five locations in First Peter, pastors are responsible for those under their care. Here's the thing. I'm not responsible to all sheep everywhere. And I know that, you, I know that like our, our time and our culture has redefined things so much in almost every area that you hate being called sheep, right? Sheep is like an insult, right? Um, biblically, it's not. Uh, we're going to let the Bible define words for us. Um, sheep and shepherds are not negative terms. Um, I also don't, we're also not going to preach from here that sheep are stupid, okay? Um, to, to somehow say that that's what you are, right? I don't think that's faithful. I don't think, that's, I, don't think that's, we, I don't think that the Bible speaks of it in that way. No, sheep are those who God loves. Sheep are those who God has given his life for. Um, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is speaking of that in great terms of endearment for those sheep who he leads. And in no place does he despise sheep. In no place does he speak negatively of sheep in the way that we have in our time. And so let's see if we can like kind of get that out of our minds. Let's see if we can kind of deconstruct that idea, if you will, um, that, that sheep are, are, are dumb, especially in this context. That's not, that's not a, at all the case. But pastors are responsible for those under their care, not for all sheep everywhere. And you, church members, those of you who are uh, faithfully involved in the church, I would just say, biblically, you are not to submit to all pastors everywhere. Uh, that's why Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Not over here, those who you are among, those who are among you. So, so like, these, these pastor, like these people online that you watch, 
who want to call you their pastor, can I just say something? They're not your pastor, and you're not, and you're not their sheep because they're not among you, and you're not among them. Um, I, I want us to, to, to really see that shepherding requires proximity. It necessitates proximity. It means that we're with one another. It means that we can speak into one another's life. It means that I can call you on your stuff, and you can call me on my stuff. It means that there's proximity and that we smell like one another, <laughs> that, 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 that my sin is just as destructive as your sin. Isn't that, isn't that a lie that we often believe, is that your sin is more destructive than mine? No. I think it's John Owen that says that the Bible is very clear that the... No, no, it's Rosaria Butterfield. That's who says it. I, was, I got two, two quotes mixed up. Rosaria Butterfield says, says this. Um, don't we understand that, the, that um, the sin that will most quickly undo me is my own? Do we understand that the sin that will most quickly undo me is my own? Hey, that's not what we believe today, is it? We think that, hey, no, your sin is your sin's just undoing me. And what Butterfield says is, no, we realize that the sin that will unravel me is the sin that dwells within me, is my own sin. Sorry, guys, I'm everywhere this morning. But... As pastors are responsible for those under their care and not, not to all sheep everywhere, sheep are to follow and submit not to all pastors in the world, but to those who God has placed in proximity to them. Hebrews 13 says this, leaders keep watch, uh, Hebrews 13 says, leaders keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so maybe you have like bad experiences with pastors. Maybe you hate me. Um, that's fine. Um, I love you, okay? Um, maybe, maybe you've got bad experiences with, with pastors. Maybe pastors have let you down. Maybe you've been hurt by one of these shepherds that ought to care for you and love you. First, let me say as a pastor, I'm begging you. First, let me say as a pastor and a fellow sinner, I ask that you show a lot of grace. I ask that you show a lot of grace when a pastor lets you down. Man, my, my dad's a pastor. I, 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 haven't, I haven't experienced this. My dad's a pastor. I've, I've been around a lot of pastors. And I know pastors that um, are just supposed to know things. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like pastors that are just supposed to know that at 3 a.m. you went to uh, the ER for, because your pinky toe broke. Uh, they're like, pastors are just supposed to know this. And they were just supposed to, like you weren't there waiting for me um, when I got there for my broken pinky toe. Um, and, and, and man, I've never experienced anything like that, but I've known that there's just a lot of grace that is lacking, both from pastors to people and from people to pastors. And so I think that grace, first and foremost, is if we've been hurt or abandoned. By the way, I, I don't mean to trivialize the, the pain that maybe you've experienced from a pastor. Sometimes it's much worse than a broken pinky toe. But secondly, let me say this as a comfort to us. That as the good shepherd, Jesus has built in a way to ensure that elders are held accountable for how they lead. Elders are held accountable for how they lead. Often, Jesus will not allow sin and abuse to go undisclosed forever. Man, I know a lot of sheep, uh, a lot of shepherds that have been abusive and, and, um, and, and, and not been faithful, that, that Jesus has very much revealed that, praise God, right? Jesus will not let his sheep be, go, go unvindicated. And so even if a shepherd is, has hurt you, um, and especially an unfaithful shepherd, Jesus will often reveal that. But 
For, for those who do abuse this office, what Hebrews says is there are eternal and eschatological implications. He says, pastors will give account for your souls. Hey, I don't know what all that means, but I will tell you there have been times where that's kept me up at night. That, that, that pastors will give an account for your soul. And I hope that we see that ultimately Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is not only the ultimate shepherd, Jesus is the ultimate shepherding among shepherd, right? John 1.14, let's go there real quick and we'll fly through these, these final two things. John, John 1.14, you wanna see what kind of shepherding Jesus does? Does he do it from an ivory tower? No. We talked about this last week, the apologetic of what's called the incarnation. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hey, interesting, same word that Peter uses, shepherd the flock of God among you. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let's see, let's see this example of Jesus' amongness of his sheep. Is that, a, is that a word, amongness? It is now. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus shows us and sets an example for us, the perfect example of what kind of shepherd he is for us and then what kind of shepherd he calls those who will faithfully shepherd to be. So the, the next thing that we see uh, from Peter Look at verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The second thing that, that Peter calls the shepherds to do in 1 Peter 5 um, is to exercise oversight willingly. Exercise oversight willingly. And so the first, the first shepherding the flock God among you indicates, implicates that sheep, that shepherds know the sheep. The second point, exercising oversight, is that shepherds lead the sheep. They exercise oversight. Shepherds not only know the sheep by being among them, but lead the sheep in a way that is willing. And in this way, the pastors reflect an incredible truth about who God is. And listen to this. The very thing that Peter calls shepherds to do is one of the most fundamental realities and truths about God in, in, in this, that God is not a reluctant, unwilling father to us. Have you ever thought, surely God's just tolerating me today? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, surely God like, maybe like, messed something up when he saved me? Have you thought, have you kind of, I'm, maybe you didn't say it quite like that but you've kind of had that idea or that, that, that thing that maybe God regrets something, that maybe God regrets saving you or redeeming you. Can I just say that 
let me just say, say it as plainly as I can. That is not truth. When, when Peter tells shepherds to exercise oversight in a willing way, not for gain, but eagerly, what he's doing is he's saying, just in the way that God has shepherded you, in a pursuing, eager, voluntary way, that we have this example in God, rather than this, we are to be ones who lead out of, no, 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 rather than, than God being a reluctant, unwilling father, he is a father who leads us out of infinite love and concern for us. He is not in it for shameful gain nor selfishness, and he calls pastors to reflect this same posture. Pastors, pastors don't lead so that they can be in the room where it happens. Any Hamilton fans? Sorry if I just totally lost some of you. Pastors don't lead so that they can be in the room where it happens. If that's the case, then pastors are leading for shameful gain. They're not leading willingly. They're, they're, they're leading for some, some versions call it sorbid gain. They're, 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 they're leading selfishly for, for what, what kind of place of position. And no, listen, what, what God says about his shepherds, it, shepherds are those who are among their people, who love, serve, and care for them. And in their leading, they realize that in their leading, in their leadership of the sheep, they are leading out of care and love and concern, knowing that those pastors who are in the room where it happens will one day give an account for your souls. Not just the lead pastor, which we don't really like that term around here. We, we, we like to refer to pastors. And so that if one is in the room for that purpose, God has a way to, to filter that, that one day you will give an account. And I hope that that strikes great fear and reverence in us to this calling, especially those of you who are men who would aspire to this, which is first time he says, aspiration is a, call, is, is, is a call to this. And so, hey, what we have done at Grace Harbor is we've tried to do our best it's stewarding this, and we have, a, we have like a one year, and those of, those of you who are in the elder process know that sometimes it's more than a year. Like, we're not afraid to extend that if we need to. We have a, a one-year elder process. Um, elders aren't, it's not a, we said this in our membership class last week, member, uh, eldership at Grace Harbor is not a political endeavor. Uh, we don't have a box, a suggestion box. Thanks, Brian, for the suggestion box last week, though. I thought about using it. Um, Brian gave me this suggestion box. Listen, we don't have a suggestion box of people's names of we're, we want this person to be an elder and then factions then are caused among us because this is my guy and I want my guy there. No, first and foremost, an elder is a man called by God, called and set aside by God. And what the church does, what First Timothy does is the, is the church simply recognizes that, simply affirms what is true about a person. And so eldership at Grace Harbor is not about some, some sort of political endeavors, nominating or anything like that. Now, as a church, as a church body, how does that, how does that come to be? Well, we do this in the, in the context of relationship. Maybe you're someone, you think, you know what? Man, there's this guy in my small group that just over the last year has just shepherded us so well. And like, I look at him and I have a level of trust. I have a level of respect I have, there's something in him that I can tell. There's something about it. And then oftentimes what will happen is sometimes 
pastors will go to that person and be like, hey, bro, you got some people who, who trust you and respect you, and we would love for you to just kind of come in this. And maybe at the time they're just like, hey, I can't. can't right now. Maybe I don't have the capacity, maybe I don't have the time. Maybe they don't have the desire. Can I just say the first qualification that Paul gives is the desire to be an elder? So if you don't have the desire, then you're probably not called. Now, may God place that desire in your life at some point? He certainly, he certainly can. And so our elder process is intentionally extensive. Um, I believe that our elder process is, is built in such a way that will reveal those who are in it for gain and for self-advancement those who are not doing it willingly and humbly and as those who are called to shepherd and to pastor. And I'll just tell you, that the men that we have in that process right now, I can tell you Jordan and Rick are in that, hey, are, are men who, who love our people. They're men who love our people and have a desire to see you know God in a deep and profound way. And so what that whole elder process looks like is as we've seen with Thomas, uh, we installed Thomas, I think it was three years ago, this like March, I think it was March, of 2019. We installed Thomas as an elder, and we brought Thomas before you as the church, and we said, hey, listen, essentially, you've got two weeks to tell us if Thomas is a scumbag. Um, and um, first, what we would tell you to do is go talk to Thomas about any, any issue that you have with him, and then come talk to us, come talk to me, and, and let me know if there's any reason why Thomas should not pastor us. And then in a few weeks, we're going to install Thomas as an elder, and so that's kind of just on a like, real quick way what that looks like. And so just wanted to kind of share some of that practically with you. The, 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 the final two things, I'll, I'll combine these two. The final two things that Peter tells the elders, tells the shepherds um, in 1 Peter 5, is that they are to be an example and that there is an eternal reward. That they are to be an example and there is an eternal reward. I know that this makes us uncomfortable. I promise you it makes... It doesn't make anyone as uncomfortable as it makes me. But I believe um, that pastors ought to be those who can say and can be said of, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 11. That, that, that we can look at a person's life and say, you know what, man, I know that guy's not perfect. I know that that man is a sinner. Hey, sometimes the way that you ought to follow a leader and the way that a leader ought to be, uh, deserve to be followed is through confession of sin. And to... And to, to know that, oh, you know what, this pastor will admit when they're wrong. They will confess their sin. I'm, I'll follow that example because I'm a knucklehead too. It's not, it's not all like the, the shiny positive parts that we follow. It's even those that, that and so I, I believe that men who we place in this role ought to lead by example in that way. And so um, we, we see finally in verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is an eternal reward for pastoring the people of God. There is an eternal reward. Can I just tell you, uh, pastoring is not the only way that God talks about eternal rewards. There's lots of other places where rewards are associated um, with living a righteous life. And we're not going to get into all of the rewards and things right now. Um, I don't even know if I fully understand biblical rewards and understand how all that works, but it's biblical. And what what 1 Peter 5, 4 says is that there is an eternal reward that pastors are truly blessed in being able to fulfill their calling as under shepherds of the good shepherd on this earth. But pastors are also assured that great reward awaits them for faithful, Christ-like, loving shepherding care of the people of God. 
In this first letter, Peter, to many dispersed people, says of this shepherd that he had been so near to, this is what Peter says in chapter two, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseers of your souls. That's Christ. That he himself paid for our sins, and though we were straying through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we have been brought back to the shepherd and the overseers of our souls. And so what a profound sense of responsibility that pastors of churches have, that the same terms that Peter uses for Jesus to be a shepherd and overseer is the same thing that he tells pastors to do, to oversee, to shepherd the people of God among you. And so listen, this is how I want us to to respond today. I pray that everyone in here knows and deeply senses a savior who is the shepherd and the overseer of your soul, and that in all that Christ commands, in all that he provides, he is the shepherd and the overseer of his soul. John says that no commandment of God is burdensome. That the commandments of God are not burdensome. They are meant to free us. They are meant to bless us in profound ways. And I pray that we sense that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great care and love and concern for us. Um, I thank you that in a, in a, in a challenging text to, to bring before people, um, that, that really all that, we can, all that we can do, even as pastors, is just to, is just to say, Lord, we have, a, we have a, a worthy, good, faithful shepherd in Christ who will never harm us, who will never abandon us, who will never let us down. We can really confidently say, that that we will never be abandoned by the chief shepherd, Jesus. And we can in great confidence know from your word that those who are shepherds in your church, Lord, are are, are called to a a very high calling. Um, That you've, you've laid out in your word ways in which to address unfaithful shepherds. Um, You've laid a, a, a way out and for all of eternity, even though we don't fully understand it, you've laid a way out for all of eternity that, that unfaithful shepherds uh, will, will, will be accountable. And so, Lord, we have great peace and that you are our good shepherd um, and that you have chosen through even weak, sinful vessels um, to, to shepherd your people. And we praise you for that. Lord, would you give me a great sense of, of responsibility. Would you give me a great sense of, of um, reverence to this calling? We love you, Father, and we pray these things in your great name. Amen.